Are you chasing financial independence only to wonder if there's more to it than just financial freedom and the time independence that comes with it? What you do with that time is probably far more important than financial independence. Alex Felice, a somewhat reluctant real estate entrepreneur who's wrestled with that very question, joins us in today's episode. Alex talks about his amazing journey of self-discovery, from his pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago to his decision to move to Maui and pursue his creative passion. Get ready for an inspiring conversation that will leave you reflecting on your own definition of success and the pathway to happiness. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this life-changing episode. Today, our guest is my good friend, Alex Felice. Alex is a guy I've known for probably five years now from when I used to live in Las Vegas. Alex went through basic training for the Army in August of 2001. I'll let you imagine how that story went from there. He spent some time downrange in Afghanistan in the early 2000s as a paratrooper. He got out of the Army after four years and spent some time as a car salesman. He got a degree in finance and went to work at a bank. Ended up as an SBA loan underwriter in Las Vegas, where he and I met. He realized that he was not going to be able to save his way to retirement with a W-2 job, and he started exploring real estate. He started buying single-family rentals in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He started buying one or two a year using what's called the Burr Method. He got bored of that. He started targeting bigger properties. He bought a 24-unit apartment with some partners and investors. He bought a 52-unit apartment with investors. In full disclosure, I'm one of those investors. And that's where we find him, where we want to hear the rest of his story today. Alex, did I get any of that wrong? Did I cut out any juicy bits that you want to share? That's a great bio. Where'd you get that? I just know you. Yeah. I went to a basic training in September of 2001, after, right after September 11th, just so you know. Yeah. Big difference. But you had, had you already joined the army or did you join the army no. because of September 11th? I was flirting with them as every, I think, 18 year old does. You go and like hey. every 18 year old with a bad attitude and no options. Oh, maybe this thing will fix all my problems. Newsflash, it doesn't fix all your problems, but it does fix some. But I was flirting with them and then September 11th happened and I'm like, they're going to need bodies now. So I'll go now. Now I have some negotiating leverage. <laughs> How'd that negotiation work out with the army? Oh, bad. Yeah, I was 18 with no skills. They just needed bullet sponges, but I did what I needed to do. I was just wanted to make that minor correction. We don't have to talk about army talk. But yeah, the overall synopsis is right. Floundered in my 20s, a lot of drugs and alcohol, fucked up a lot of time. And I got my stuff together on my 30s. I figured, oh, I got to get this money problem. I'm sick of being broke all the time and stressed out. This is the way to go through life. And so I was like, I'll go learn finance because and go work in a bank because they have all the money. And if I figured if I learned finance, then I'd understand money and then I'd have money. And that sort of was a good... That sort of works, right? You want money? Go learn how it works. Like it's just rules for a game. It's not that complicated. You can go complicated on it, but not that complicated. So I, what actually was really funny is I found out that all the people that work in banking are broke too. They're just <laughs> W2 employees, working jobs, not saving money. I was like, okay. Um, yeah, real estate, 2014, markets collapsed. I was just learning investing. I was looking for a place to put cash. Everything was depressed. All the prices were down. I was like, this seems like it'll work. So I just... Spent a couple of years obsessing with that. And yeah, 24 unit, then 52 unit. Got bored. I still have the 52 unit. I still pay. I pay out. I don't know what I pay out, to be honest. 30 grand a quarter, something like that. And passive investments to investors. That's the best feeling. That's the best feeling I have. I'd like to do more. To be honest, I'd like to go buy more. I have that skill set. But because this is why I like this, the name of the show, truly passive income, truly passive income, not a rental property that you manage yep. and have to be near. 
And then you call it passive income to lie to yourself. And then like a lot of people do truly passive income is buying deep discounted deals and letting somebody better than you run them from a distance and then paying your investors. And so over the last two years, I don't think that prices have been deeply discounted. I think they've been overpriced. There's, that's a complicated phrase and we can get into that if you want to, but I don't want to pay premiums on deals and pay investors skinny checks. And I don't want to worry about margins. So I've been living my life and letting the good deals ride themselves. So I spend, I don't know, I might spend two hours a month on my investments, maybe. And probably less than that. It's a lot of it's texting. Just like, hey, how are the 60 something units that I have? How are they running? They're running good. Checks are coming in. Let's stop thinking about this then. Keep it moving. The thing about passive income and something that Clint had alluded to earlier about people want freedom and this and that. The biggest thing that I found about people that they chase financial freedom is like a really weird phenomenon is they hate their jobs. They want to go get financial freedom. But along the way, they get obsessed with some new thing. They get obsessed with buying houses or finding deals. And what they do is they give themselves golden handcuffs. Now, maybe the job that they create for themselves about around real estate is a more fulfilling job. It's their project or their company. So that's definitely got an incentive than working for somebody else. But I actually know and talk to, I'm a power networker in real estate. I talk to a lot of people that make a lot more money than me and have a lot more tangible, measurable, absolute success than me, financial success, business success than me. And they are bored. No, they're not bored. They're stressed out about the thing that they wanted freedom. They have plenty of money to have freedom and they don't know how to spend their time meaningfully. So they just spend their time making more money, not knowing what to do with it and stressing out about it. And I am the poster child for doing the opposite. I don't make that much, but I am the happiest. That's actually why we invited you to be on the podcast. You've made a big splash in the real estate community, obviously it's a pretty small network, but just because you are, you're a master networker, you know, a lot of the right people and you put yourself out there sharing things in a meaningful way, well, successes and failures, which I commend you for. One thing that you're bringing up is that originally a lot of people have the discussion about, oh, I'm going to get into real estate or some type of investing, discover truly passive income for myself, whether that's people have all different ideas of what that means. Most of them are wrong, but the idea is chasing financial freedom. And that in and of itself, I've mentioned this many times before, is that I think it's shallow because financial freedom by itself that doesn't come with time and location independence. You've just created a separate job for yourself. And if financial freedom was the destination that you were aiming for a lot of people that find success along the pathway, the journey becomes the destination. The constant grind and building up the assets or buying it, or whether it's multifamily or flipping houses or wholesaling or whatever it may be, to hit that level of financial freedom, the journey becomes the destination for them and they never really learn how to turn it off. The idea is to create financial freedom in a way that also comes with location and time independence. And those three things together can create independence of purpose where you can go pursue what you want to pursue. And that's what we thought of when your name came up is I don't think people on this podcast know where you're doing this interview from or what you're doing with your life right now. And I think that you have mastered the art of turning it off and turning it on depending on the, what's prioritized in your life at the moment. And it usually seems to be that your happiness and success, the way that you want to spend your time takes precedent. And I think a lot of people miss that. Talk about that a little bit. People want financial freedom because they're motivated by the wrong, they're motivated by the right thing, right? They hate their job. They hate feeling stuck. This is not that controversial of a phrase, but it sounds controversial. The entire middle and lower class the United States, probably 60, 70% of America are wage slaves. They are tied to jobs they don't really want or are meaningless, right? What's that job book bullshit jobs, middle management, just stuff that's going to get replaced by AI anyways. They're making mediocre salaries. They're in, they're working for bosses that are basically, they're not leaders. 
They're just somebody that was there a little bit longer than you. And if the whole thing is just, it's completely meaningless and unfulfilling and they're just working for the weekend. And so they're like, I want something bigger than this. I want to get out. Okay, that's a good motivator. The problem is, and this makes me sound like an asshole every single time that I say this, finding financial freedom is a moderately hard problem to fix, right? What do you need? Do you need $10,000 a month in passive income? You can do this in, depending on how aggressive you are, you can do this in five to 10 years. Five years if you're aggressive, 10 years almost guaranteed if you focus on it, okay? The problem that people have is that they don't actually know what they want to do when they get freedom. And they haven't spent any time thinking about it. And it's, this is why I sound like an asshole. That is a harder problem to solve than making money. Because everybody thinks money is their problem. But then you get there and you're like, okay, what if you had $10,000 a month in income? You're like, oh, I need 20,000. And for what? What do you need 20,000 for instead of 10? Because here's what's going to happen. You don't really need more than $10,000 a month in passive and income. You really don't. I can argue with people. Unless you have a hobby that you're passionate about that costs more than that. But the problem is most people don't have any hobbies and they have no passion projects and they have nothing on their bucket list that's big. They say things like, I want to travel. Do you know how cheap it is to travel? Bro, I travel all the time. Went in a country five times last year. It don't cost that much money. You can do it on much less than, you can do it on 50 grand a year. You can travel a couple times out of country. Now, I'm not saying you can stay in luxury hotels. Luxury hotels are on a purposeful, a meaningful driven sort of existence. It's just consumerism. Consumerism is the real trap. You're trading this job. You're like, I want freedom. And then you give yourself, you pledge yourself to the false god of consumerism. You're like, well, I want freedom, but I also want a nice car and a big house and travel. Dude, that's just, that's just, uh, it's just a captor of a different look. And so I figured this out very early, actually, in financial freedom. I started buying houses. I had one, two, maybe I had my third house. And I was like, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to buy these rentals. I don't want to get, I don't want to be a big mogul. I don't want to have a bunch of employees. I don't want a bunch of golden handcuffs. I don't want to be tied to this thing in a way that, like, you can quit a job at any day. You walk in, I quit. You have investors. Like, I can't quit, Neil. Zero percent chance to happen. I got to write my, I got to make sure this thing is running. I got to check up on it. I have got to, the responsibility level is different. So I wanted to make sure that I limited those sort of requirements and that I had actual freedom. But then I said, what am I going to do with all this free time? It's a hard problem. What are we going to do with it? You can travel, but travel messes up your schedule because then you're like, you're not in the gym. You're not building relationships. Most people don't want to be nomadic. Most people want to travel sporadically and then come back home. What are you going to do with all your time? Say you do make your $20,000 a month. It's like, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to volunteer? Are you going to write books? Are you going to create content? How are you going to help other people get the gift that you've been given or learn the things that you've already learned? Are you going to do a creative endeavor? Are you going to challenge yourself health and fitness? Are you going to invest in your relationship? What? There's a million things to do and people have no hobbies. What are you going to do? I picked up a camera. I was like, whatever. Cameras are going to die because everybody's got cell phones now, but I'll just do it anyways. I don't care. And as you both know, intimately, it shaped my life. Never seen me without a camera probably a very few times. And that just was fluke. And I can go into like how that happened. But yeah, people, Clint, you said it right. Like they get fall in love with the process. You solve one problem and you create another. People have to be a little more introspective. Maybe it comes more naturally to me. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's a byproduct of mushrooms. Got to do <laughs> mushrooms. I think truly passive income is putting Something that you want to do on your bucket list higher than money is the vehicle. And money is, it's an easy trap to get into because it feels good. I made a $30,000 check. I made this big thing. It feels good, but it's fleeting just like your paycheck is. And I know plenty of people that make $400,000 a year that are stressed out about money. And I know plenty of people that make $50,000 a year that are just as stressed out about money. Rarely have I ever made six figures, but because I pour myself into things like travel, books, cameras, community building, like these very fulfilling intangible, right? They're not easy to brag about on the internet, but they're very fulfilling. So yeah, I, I figured out 
I don't know if I figured it out. I just didn't fall into the same trap as a lot of other people. And I, yeah, that's what I want to express. Don't fall into the trap of money's not going to, money only solves money problems. So I think it's not a groundbreaking statement here, but I think what we're getting at is that time is real wealth. Time, to, actually, and I'll even go a step further, time and purpose. Because you can have lots of money, but no time and no purpose. And do you really have much of a life? And you can have lots of time and no purpose. There's only so many video games you can play. There's only so many books you can read, as, as fulfilling as I, I think books are. But ultimately, you got to find something more than that. We're such a consumerist society. And for me, reading most books is just consuming. Most television watching, you're just consuming. Most video games, it's, ultimately, it's consuming. You've got to get to the point where it's, you've got the time to participate in the world and with some sort of purpose. And it doesn't need to be some big, grand purpose, but it's got to be something beyond just consuming and existing. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. So there's a few things there. One of my big bugaboos about American culture, the biggest, I think, enemy that we face is what I call the false god of consumerism. And it is everywhere. It is not just the trinkets you buy at Target. It is the food. It is the cars. It is the house. It is, a lot of it is relationships. You are going out drinking with friends. Is that really, I love going out drinking with friends, but is it relationship building or is it escapism? Travel. I'm going on, last year I did, and I'll do it again this year, I'll go on a, a pilgrimage from to, in Spain called the Camino de Santiago. It's 150 miles with no cell phone, walking nine, nine, 10 miles wow. a day. It's the opposite of consumerism. Okay, and so that brings me to the next point is what do you do? How do you know if it's consumerism? Consumerism is always easy. So, the, so if you want to know that if you're doing something that's not consumerist, do something hard. Are books consumerism? Maybe. If you're reading Dan Brown or some Game of Thrones, just a little poke that bear. <laughs> go read David Foster Wallace. Go read David, go read Dostoevsky, go read something hard. It's very fulfilling. Tolstoy's changed my opinion about and, and my approach towards relationships forever, but it's 900 pages and brutal. And so it's the same thing with the gym. It's you can go get plastic surgery. It's consumerism, or you can go to the gym and, and put yourself through some pain. Uh, but we, but consumerism and complacency and comfort are all very easy things. It's hard to tell people, go volunteer for the hard thing, but. It really is. It, those are really your two choices. It's you can do the consumerist, meaningless thing, or you can do the difficult, fulfilling thing. And it's the really insane thing. The really insane like fact about our culture is that consumerism is very expensive and it stresses you out and puts you in a box. Doing things that are difficult and meaningful are almost always cheap and available. Books, gym memberships, sunshine, travel, friends. These are all very cheap, very cheap things, but they're difficult. And so people will almost always opt for the easy, empty thing that puts you in a financial and then stress buying, like puts you in a box. It's such a weird phenomenon. It's so funny to have this conversation with the three of you, the three people that are sitting here right now, because this, everything we're talking about is the independence of purpose. And when you hit this point of you've got the financial freedom, the location of independence, the time independence, and you get this freedom of purpose, you get inside what's important to you, how you want to live your life. And that's when you start to ask yourself the questions, am I going to do the easy things or the hard things? And you have opportunity like you didn't have before. And for some people, it's hard to learn how to manage that. You have to relearn. All of a sudden, the world is wide open and you can make a lot of choices and you can go a lot of different directions with that. And that can be good and that can be bad. And it's really funny to be having this conversation right now because it's easy to talk about this, but it's something different when people that we all know have hit that certain level where all of a sudden it becomes a reality. And it goes from being a conversation that you're having in a transactional way with somebody else to all of a sudden it's your situation and it's real and it's happening. 
the moment that happened to me was a very special moment. And it happened in Denver last year at the best ever real estate conference. And Alex, you were walking by with your camera in hand, like you always are. And you captured a picture of that moment. And it's something that photo is hanging in my office. And it's something that for me, it went from at that time, literally at that point in time, I was looking out the window over the mountain. It went from a conversation I've heard other people have a lot over the years to all of a sudden I was standing there 16 years into a career selling and implanting pacemakers and defibrillators, thinking that I loved what I did and did honestly did love what I did and love the way that I help people. But I had a moment of realization of at its basis form, no matter what, I'm still trading time for money. I know what the ceiling of that is. And based upon what I now know and the people that I've been surrounded with for the last week, I've got to find a way out of this career. I've got to quit my job. I can get the same satisfaction of giving back and helping people in other ways. But for my sake, my family's sake, my marriage's sake, my children's sake, the sake of being a good father and a leader, there's a lot more opportunity out there. And I was standing there having that realization of this conversation is now a decision that I have to make in my life. And I was standing there and I said, I've got to quit my job. And you walked by, you took a picture right then that'll always be very special to me because of that moment. So it's one thing for us to sit here and have this conversation. And for people that are listening to this podcast and go, oh, I wonder what that's like, maybe one day, it's very real. And that transition of making the jump from working for somebody else, trading your time for money and things like that, when you're in that situation differently, it's you're all of a sudden you've cut all ties loose and you're adrift. That's when it's really important to have put some thought into the kind of person you want to be, the kind of husband, friend, father, whatever your role in life is. You need to have thought about that ahead of time before you get put into that position, because all of a sudden you're going to have a lot of different things that you could do and that you can do out there. And that's when making those difficult choices is something that you should have prepared yourself for ahead of time. You got to put thought into that ahead of time. I think in my position to all of a sudden be in that position in life and know what your second act needs to look like. Yeah, I do think that we live in this culture where we sort of have this thing where it's healthy, right? Everybody has to be successful or like on their way very early. And so you're like, hey, you should be making money at 30. And then if you get to 30 and you're broke still, it's, oh, I missed it. And then we do the same thing with 40 because you start seeing people that are 40 that have been really like got their shit together for 10, 15 years now. They seem very daunting and you're like, oh, I really missed it. And so what it does is it, it puts people in this mindset of, they're acquiescing to complacency because they're like, they will look at you and they go, I can't do what he did at that age. So I'm just going to resort to what I have. And that's not for me and, and grind it through. And bro, I'm going to live to 120. So if we'll get that. We'll start right at 120 right now. I was 30 right before I pulled my head out of my ass. And what I really mean that, right? I had no degree. I had no houses. I had no savings, right? I had just allegedly gotten a DUI. Allegedly, I was a fuck up, right? I hadn't read any books yet. I'd never picked up a camera. I had no money. I had no plan. I had alcoholic friends because that's how you become an alcoholic. And that's another lesson, actually. The people you surround yourself with are the people you become. And at 30, I was like, okay, whatever. I don't care about the whole world. I don't care about being a mogul, but I am changing my life. And basically, over the next two years, it became two things. It's like, I'm going to have financial freedom and I'm going to do something creative. And again, it takes time to reflect and be honest with oneself about, I'm going to live for the next. So that's 30. So I'm going to live for another. Oh, don't make me math. 90 years. <laughs> 90 years? Do you want to be just say, I'm going to sell pacemakers for 90 years because I don't want to take any risks. This seems crazy when you say it out yep. loud, but that's how people go through life because they don't. And that's a, 
dude, that's a whole other lesson is say things out loud. Nobody says that. That's one that, that one everybody should do. You should have a group of friends around. Everybody needs a friend like me that'll call you in your bullshit. And, you, and so Clint, when you say, hey, I'm just going to not I'm going to I'm not going to go for financial freedom because this seems easier. And then I can tell you, you're going to do this for the next 90 years because you're scared that it, it might not work out. But you can always get that job back, right? You need somebody that will say these things out loud so you can hear how effing crazy they sound. But now here you are a year later and you're like, oh my God, smartest decision of all time. Now look, you make and made a lot more money than me, right? When I started, I made 45 in three years. I ended up getting 65,000 a year in Las Vegas. That was at the end of 2019. This is not that long ago. So if you're making $55,000 a year, you can do what I did. And now I make more than that because of my investments and because my skill sets have gone up, but I'm not a rich fella. Also, Maui's expensive, so what's this supposed to rent? I agree with you though. Like you have to, people have to think about they're going to live for another 80, 90 years, right? Even if you're 50, it's like you're going to live to, you're probably going to live to 120. That's just, that's what medicine's going to do. You're going to live to 120, right? You're going to feel great for 110. I'm just kidding. I'm just bullshitting. I don't know. But if you're 60, right? If you're 60 and you live to 100, it's like, you got 40 years left. And let me tell you something. The first 20 years of your life is generally a blur. Most people are not putting anything like really foundational. At least I wasn't, right? Very little foundational came out of the first 30 years of my life. So I'm 39. So basically I tell people, I'm like, look, I'm nine years old. Everything I learned and learned in the last nine years, I'm nine and I'm lived to 120. Like I'm just now getting started. So this idea that I'm not going to take any risks because uh, would you tell a nine-year-old that like, hey, whatever you're doing now is what you're set with. You can't. Take no, you can't take any risks. You can't change your mind now. You got to stuck. So part of this, so Clint, and I want to make this clear is another thing that American culture has forgotten because of consumerism is sacrifice. They can't quit their job because they have a monster car payment yeah. and they're not willing to sell their car and live and drive a beater. They live in a monster house. They're house poor and they're not willing to make any sacrifices. They got cell phones. They got kids got cell phones. They got Netflix, Hulu, they got Amazon. They spend their just money is just going out and they got credit card debt. And so you have got to learn how to live light. And that gives you, that's freedom in and of itself. Just getting rid of the false God of consumerism. It's an addiction that the culture wants you to have. It's, I don't say that like with some conspiracy as much as Chase wants you to have debt, bro. That's how they make money. So they're sad that you're miserable about it and unhappy, but that's what they want. That's how they make their money is you get a bunch of debt. So I'm not anti-mortgages, but you got to live light. You got to reflect on what you want to do. And you got to make some sacrifice. You got to make what looks like risky decisions that are generally not. And then the last thing, I'll go off my rant because I'm all over the place. The last thing that you said that's really important is you brainwash yourself with who's around. That is, whether you choose to or not, that is what happens. Every single individual on this planet, you brainwash yourself with who you keep around. God forbid you keep nobody around and you become an isolated recluse. This is the worst. You're not going to motivate yourself to do shit. You become who you surround yourself with. So when you hang out with people that are at work that are just going through the motions, you're going to think that's okay. When you hang out with people that are driving, you're making six, six, $60,000 a year or $100,000 a year and everybody around you driving BMWs and you think, oh, they're driving BMWs. So we work in the same job so I can drive a BMW not knowing that they go home and lose sleep and fight with their wife or husband because they're stressed out about money and now you're copying them because it looks normal. You brainwash yourself to become the people that you're around. So when you start going to Best Ever Conference, you look, see Alex and you're like, wait, Alex is happier than me making a fifth of what I make because he chose to live on his terms rather than live by the job, dude, if you become it. And so now, yeah, so those things, sacrifice, reflection, risk, and brainwashing yourself with the people you're around. These sort of like very core, simple, they're not easy to enact, but they're simple ideas. And they're tried and true. They're true throughout all of history. They're universal. They work. But again, it's just easier to buy stuff and make all that thought and pain go away. <laughs> Alex, when you're talking about risk, 
one of the things I, I think is so important people to realize is that there's a risk of inaction. People have this thought in their head of, I can't quit this job because then what am I going to do? Like you said, you're going to do this for another 90 years? You're going to bet those 90 years that your life is going to be better during that 90-year period than it would be is if you took a little harder route, took a, what looks like a, maybe a bigger risk right now, short-term, but in the long-term leads to a much happier life. People confuse the difference between fear and risk. Fear and risk are two different things. Risk is not to be feared. Risk is to be managed and measured. And so it is a simple math. You say, hey, look, my bills are $2,000 a month and I make $5,000 a month. And so I can swing it. Now, if I go work for myself, I can't make the nut. So I can't quit my job. And it's okay, first, get your bills cheaper, right? Sacrifice, then save some money. Sacrifice, right? Build up a little nest egg. Then go get a plan. How are you going to make some money? I'm going to, hey, I want to get into real estate. So you know what? If you have no money, if you can't do anything else, go be an agent on the side. At least go get your toes in. Go link up with guys like Clint or Neil and say, hey, how can I add value? It's not, people, they just go, it's too much. I don't want to learn it. It seems scary. And so, oh, it's a big risk. Incorrect language, right? Incorrect language. You're afraid. And being afraid is like normal and that's fine, but it's a bad decision maker, right? Our bodies are biologically programmed to avoid risks because most real risks through history are like something terrifying coming out of the bush and taking you out. And so you're like hardwired for this thing, but like financial risk and then economic risk is not to be treated the same way. What's most interesting to me is how many people have stressed about money their whole life and it always works out, right? Yep. Some people go bankrupt, but even bankruptcy, it's like, I know people that have gone bankrupt and come back and they're fine. Like all this stress is our biological mismatch with current modernity, like our current economic situation. And that's not, it's hard to fix that. It's so funny. Like I actually stress about money more now that I'm into a million dollar net worth than when I had zero net worth and didn't even had a negative net worth. I actually stress a little bit more about money now because for different reasons, but I also know that's, that's just the biology working and some of that can't go away, but it's important not to confuse risk with fear. If you're fearful, it's okay. Say it out loud, address it. But to have no plan and no process and no understanding of where you are and where you want to go and like none of the data, none of the information and then say, oh, it's risky. It's like, you don't know what the risk is. You have no idea what the risk is. So it's just fear. And those are very different. I'll take that a step further. I think if for anyone out there in a current working situation that's been in it for any amount of period of time, long enough that you can see where the ceiling is, if you're in whatever that role is, if you can get an idea of in your industry, what the ceiling is, and you look at that ceiling and that ceiling is not enough to meet the satisfaction needs that you're looking for as, in, as a person, then the real risk is not doing anything. Like that decision gets taken away from you. If what you're doing right now and the goal of your own career-wise, if the ceiling is here and that ceiling is not going to be enough for you to meet the needs that you need for yourself and your family in terms of time or travel or whatever it may be to hit what you think your version of satisfaction or happiness is going to be, if it's not there, then the only risk is if you don't take action because you know what the ceiling is. You don't know what the ceiling is if you're willing to try other things or do other things. And there's a difference in risk and calculated risk. But for me, if I go in, spend the rest of my career selling and implanting pacemakers and defibrillators, I know what the ceiling is. It's a fairly high ceiling when it comes to financial compensation, but it's a pretty low ceiling when it comes to time. Because I'm on call, I work nights, I work weekends, I'm on call because heart surgery is not from nine to five, right? So if I know where the ceiling is, the only risk that I take 
is if I decide that's enough for me for the rest of my life, right? And if it's not, then you have to make decisions beyond that. And again, podcast is called Truly Passive Income, but at the end of the day, the income part is not the end all be all. Like we all have to have some level of financial freedom to make these decisions and take these risks. But at the end of the day, once you decide that stealing is not enough for you, you have an obligation to put yourself out there and try to do something more than that. And a lot of times, like there's an unlimited amount of you locked in your genetic code and the way that you react to different situations. But when you put yourself out there, different situational strains are going to cause different reactions to come out of you. And those changes are what create change in you as a person and unlock different abilities that you didn't know was there, which is incredible because you have an unlimited amount of ability inside of you to deal with different situational stresses. And you just aren't going to find out about it until you put yourself in that situation. And that's going to come from who you are right now is who you're going to be 10 years from now with the exception of the books you read, the places you go, the content you consume and the people you associate it with. So that's the idea. Truly passive income is just, that's just a hook to get people to listen to the podcast. But at the end of the day, that by itself is shallow. Giving her secrets. Listen, man, life is about so much more than that. But if you hit that stepping stone, it puts you on the pathway to independence of purpose. And that's what this conversation is talking about. And it's so much bigger than just finances. Yeah. So Neil, you said earlier time is the most valuable resource. I hear this a lot. I actually very much disagree with that because no, you said, that's uh, not you okay. Said, no, no, don't come on my podcast and disagree. All right. That's not you why said, I invited. We're done here. I invited you, said, you on here to agree <laughs> with me, to back up the things I'm saying, Alex. Some you you got close to Clint is bullshit. The most thing that people should invest into most, in my opinion, is their level of self-confidence. And what I mean by that is what you believe you can accomplish. And what happens is we get in this little world where I don't want to rail about American culture too bad, but we have nothing to conquer and we have no rights of passage. And so people grow up and they're just like, I'm an employee now. And that's what I'm born and destined to do. And people are very cynical now about their ability to rise above mediocrity or average. So they don't try. And I have met extremely few people in this life that I look at and go, in the right circumstances, you would be wildly successful. Very few people, like almost every single, the vast, wild majority, 99%, I could probably name less than 10 people in this whole world that this doesn't apply to. Under the right circumstances, every single person can be radically, wildly successful. What that is at and in those circumstances is a game of trying a lot of things and finding out what you're going to I played guitar for 10 years and I was garbage from day one and I ended at garbage. I should have abandoned it really quickly. But there's things that I'm really good at that are natural. And once you find out what the things you're good at and understand why, the themes about what your personality is and, and the themes of like what you should stay away from. Hey, you want me to build systems? Like we're all going to fail. I'm just terrible at it. So if you ever need a systems guy, call everyone else. Don't call me. I destroy systems. I'm the opposite of systems. But there's somebody else in this world that's really good at systems. And as soon as we pair up, we're going to be unstoppable. So, but there's somebody who's really good in sales and they're stuck in a packaging plant. And it's, dude, you're not, you should be in sales. You just never tried it. Maybe it's scary and you don't know it. I was good at sales. I never thought I'd be good at sales. I stumbled my way into it. I was good at sales. I wanted to be in banking. I thought I was like, I want to learn money and do underwriting. I am not good stuck in a cubicle with one other person doing spreadsheets. It's just, it's not the best use of my skill sets. I can get paid. I can do that, but I'm never going to thrive. And so people, yeah, they get stuck into sort of, they turn 25, they turn 30, they turn 35. They have a career that they fell into. They didn't plan it. And then they're doing mediocre and they're like, I guess I'm just mediocre. And no, dude, you are. You have divinity within you. You just got to try a couple of extra things and be around it. And this is, again, comes back to, it took me a long time to learn this lesson, but I'm going to spend over the next three years, I'm basically going to spend 
all of my money investing in masterminds and coaches because there's people in this world that will see things in you that you don't see and then they know where to put you. And they say, oh, Clint's good at pacemaker sales. And I said, no, Clint's good at sales. So let's get him in the right place with a mega high ceiling. But it took a little bit of self-belief. Like you said, you had to hang out with some people. You had to see them doing the thing that you were afraid to do. And you look at the people that are successful. Everybody knows this. You hang out with somebody successful that seems like they're untouchable. It seems like they're made out of something else. You hang out with them a little while. You're like, that person is as regular as they get. They just got in the right place, the right time. It hit their personality. I'm out here building a new podcast for my friend, Brandon Turner, who has um, shaped so many lives with so many be- unbelievable amount of lives. My life, Neil, I think yours, I don't know your story, Clint, but bigger yeah, pockets. For sure, 100%. Shape the world, right? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you how poor, Josh, the- Dorkin, poor Josh Dorkin never gets any credit. <laughs> I hung out with, I went surfing with Josh Dorkin and Brandon Turner last week. And let me tell you something. They are as regular as it gets. They are regular as this conversation. They're tremendous individuals. I'm not taking anything away from their hard work, but they got the right personalities, the right process, the right time, all these things lined up. And that is one of the guideposts of life. One of the strategies of life is find out what you're good at and then keep plugging away and then wait till the waves of success comes to you. I thought cameras are going out of business. Turns out now every single entrepreneur in the country wants a creative director to make them look good on the internet. A thing that I thought was just going to be a crappy like a little side hobby hustle that I, I wasn't gonna make any money on. It was just a little hobby. Now people are like, can we pay you a lot of money to do the thing that you want to do? And we'll stay out of your way. What an incredible blessing. What an incredible blessing. And it wasn't something I planned. It was just putting myself right in places where I could use my skill set, my talents to the maximum. And then just the trend came along. And so this is why it's so important to hang out with people that are going at least where you think you want to go and spend time and get in their social circles because they'll look at you and say, you're not right for this. You are right for this. This is where you could be good. And then you'll believe them because people generally, anybody who's your real friend will not sycophant, a suck up. They will not guess you just to make you feel good. They'll tell you at least, I don't know, you need a friend like me at least. They'll tell you all the time. Like, no, you're effing up. You're wrong. Do this over here instead. This is not going to fit for you, whatever. But you need somebody who will tell you what's, what they think is best for you objectively. And those are not hard to find. Those are everywhere. I'm sure Neil and Clint, I'm sure you guys do that for each other. The other two guys, Levi and Eric, that, that you guys are all old enough that you're not just BSing each other, trying to, nobody needs friends in that group, right? Yeah, you guys are all got established families and lives. And so it's, no, we want to work together, which means we have to tell each other the truth. That is why people need to brainwash themselves by the groups that they surround themselves in. And then be okay to change those groups. I got into the fire community first and I was like, you guys are silly. Save 70% of your income and then you'll get a million and a half dollars in an equity account in 30 years and then you'll retire. This is a terrible plan, friends, terrible plan. So I had to leave and I went to real estate and then I found out, guess what? They only do one thing, buy real estate, buy real estate, buy real estate. Let me tell you how good I am at real estate. Well, I want to talk about something else. How come we're not talking about philosophy and cameras and travel? That's what I want to talk about. So I moved to other groups. Now this is my journey, but the point is I hang out with camera people and that's how I get good at cameras. I learn cameras. I hang out with travel. It's like you go to country a bunch of times. I am so ranty. I'm so sorry. No, you have I, to. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Rant, Alex. You have to hang out with people that want the best from you, expect and demand the best out of you and we'll, hold, and we'll keep you accountable. And then what exactly what happened to Clint is he'll go, this is not only possible, but I have to do this. This is crazy that I'm not doing this. And because you could just have easily gone back to your friends and they'd have been like, how was your weekend? Oh, I can't wait till Friday. And it's, dude, you just get in this lut, you get in this glut of the same samesies for your whole life. And, and then the problem is you have all, you have a whole lifetime to do that thing. And if you, if you have all the time in the world, but no confidence, you can't get anything done. 
you have to have confidence and that's going to come from hard, difficult, but doing difficult tasks, putting yourself in uncomfortable positions and being around people that will hold you up to a very high standard. So I want to pull two nuggets out of your diatribe there, which I love, yeah, so sorry. not criticizing so sorry. your diatribe. One is that people should lean into things that they're good at. So often people are like, we should look for ways that you can improve. Look at the things that you're bad at in life and make them better. We already know you should be leaning in to the things that you're good at. You discovered you, you suck at guitar. Terrible. And there's things that I know I'm not good at and I've tried to get better at. I, I suck at deal finding. I just suck at deal finding as a real estate. But I do know that I can talk to people about a deal and I can get them excited in that common goal. And so lean into that. The other thing that I think is that people overestimate what they can get done in a year and they underestimate what they can get done in five years. And I think that is a trap that so many people fall into that allows them to not take action. They see, oh God, it's, I can't, I could never get to where Alex is. It would take me 20 years to get there. No, you're not going to get, you're not going to get there in one, but yeah, you can probably get there in five. 2017, I was working as a, I wasn't even in underwriting yet. I was working retail in a bank, in a brand. Like when you walk into the bank and you're like, can I talk to somebody? Like, That's what I was doing. Making 46,000, $44,000 a year. And since then, right, I have bought eight single family homes, a 24 unit, a 52 unit, raised $1.4 million basically on my own, right? 1.25 on my own. I picked up and learned everything about cameras, right? I moved and lived in Las Vegas for three years, left there, moved to Charlotte, moved to Maui, right? I've been to seven or eight foreign countries. I don't know how many conferences, right? I'm a conference junkie. I go to three, four, five a year. And that all changed. Right. The community I surrounded myself with was bigger pockets. And that all happened in five years. Five years ago, I had no clue that any of this was possible. I would have said the same thing you did. So, oh my God, one day I'll have 10 units. One day, one day, one day. And I had a 10 year plan to get 10 units and it took me three. And then I was like, what else can I do that I sandbagging on? Yep. And, and along the way, I found a lot of things I'm good at. I'm not really, I'm okay at deal finding, but I'm like you, I just, it bores me. I don't want to do it. I want passive income, right? I want passive income. If I had more cash, if I had a high income job, I would. Literally just, I'd be an LP. I'd give it to you guys. I'd give it to, I, I'd give it to, I don't know. I don't want to go deal hunt and I don't mind managing and talking to people, but it's not, just somebody else is better at it than me and they like it. So here you go. I'd rather just be an LP. It's almost the same amount of money with no responsibilities. Yes. Heck yes. I'll do that. Now finding good LPs is not a, and, and finding, make sure you get the right deals with those LPs is not a super easy task, but that's all the conversation. So you may have just answered the question, a couple of things that, Y'all both pointed out that I think is really important. You both said lean into what you're good at. And I would also add in, try things, try new things. Because you're going to find things that you didn't know you were good at. Yeah, Alex, you just, you spent five years doing that, essentially. I didn't know that I'd never raised capital before in my life until about 18 months ago. And I know that you did that for the first time on your own as well. So I would say lean into what you're good at. But outside of that, try new things. Because you're going to be in a position where you find things that you are good at. And just as powerfully, you're going to find things that you're not good at, and you're going to be able to identify the right people to partner with. Two things. One thing that I recommend to people that nobody does, it's so easy. Nobody does it. It's so useful. It's a little bit, foof. it sounds a little bit crazy, but go online, take those personality tests. They, they work, bro. I like the Myers-Briggs, the MBTI. Yep. I really like the big five personality test. Really like that one because, and whatever the other one, but, there's, take, but take three. Disc or Colby. I really like Colby test, but you got to pay for it. 50 bucks, worth it. But these things will tell you 
based on your answers, like here's the stereotype of what you're probably good at. I'm really good at what's called quick start for Colby. I'm really good at getting things from my brain into market. As soon as you need me to create a system out of that, we are, we fail, but I can get, I can take risk. So this is good to know about oneself because you might be the opposite. You might be like, yo, I can, I'm a systems builder or I'm a systems optimizer. And that's why I cannot, and that's why you find a hard time being entrepreneurial because you can't take from complete idea and put it into market. Or maybe you'll find out I'm a hyper extrovert. Do you guys know that I'm the, did you guys know that I'm currently the record holder? That's just a fact, by the way. I'm the record holder for the number one most extroverted person on earth. Did you know this? On earth? That's I, on earth. I'm 90 percentile extrovert. <laughs> I fuck. You're, the, you you're the guy. I'm the number one. Yeah, I'm the number one. That's a fact. I'm just, that's not me. That's just, that's a fact. But it's important to know this because if you are an extrovert, you're going to find success around people. Being alone is never going to work for you. And if you're an introvert, right? Okay, first off, you're going to have to figure out how to deal with people. But then you have to figure out how to deal with people in doses, right? Hey, go get coffee and go home for a little while. Go to a conference, do an hour or two, go hang on the hotel room for a few hours, go back to the party for 45 minutes or an hour tonight, and then go home. But these sort of things of understanding oneself allow you to use those strengths to succeed in ways that work for you. If you are a hyper introvert, dude, you can't go to do a conference like me. You cannot do it. It's never going to happen. There's no training. You're not going to be able to beat your biology. I can go to a conference for four days. I can wake up at 7 a.m. I can go to bed at 1 a.m. And I can take pictures and mingle and talk to people the entire time. I can do that four or five days in a row. And I leave going, I wish there was more. A hyper introvert person, there's no way you can beat that out. You can't do that. So that doesn't mean you can't be good at networking. You just have to find out what it works for you. And so the same thing with systems building or not systems building, chaos building. Or what about uh, like neuroticism. That's a big five personality trait. How neurotic are you? Neil? Very neurotic. Very neurotic, right? <laughs> Stresses about everything. Stresses about everything, right? I'm a little bit above average. I know some people, I know three people in this world that they rate less than 10% neurotic. They do not stress, right? Their world could be crumbling. They do not stress about it. It just does not affect them. It's like a superpower, right? Also, when things are crumbling, they don't worry about it. So they don't have that, oh, I've got to go tackle this. And, and so it, this is why it's so important to say these fix all your problems, but they help you with the reflection process of understanding, like, what is it that I'm good at as a biological human that I can then employ to be useful to a team or a group effort or a project or a company so that I can be most useful. I'm going to rant a little bit longer. The book Ray Dalio principles was really good about this. That's what they use. They're like, look, get the right person to the right job. Don't put a big picture person, right? I'm an abstract thinker. I can't do details. Don't put me in a details job, right? And don't put a details accountant type into vision boarding. It's not going to work, right? Get the right person on trade in the right job. And so to understand what your right job is, you have to understand oneself a little bit better. The other thing is about, Clint, you said trying new things. The piece of advice that shaped my life the most over the last 10 years was this. You need three hobbies in life. One that makes you money. One that keeps you in shape. One that keeps you creative. Boom. Most people don't have all three. Most people don't even have two, right? You need a fitness hobby. You have to have one. I don't care if you do Pilates, yoga, run, right? I deadlift. I don't care what you do. CrossFit, Ironman. I don't care what you do, but you got to do something, right? Health is wealth. It's foundational. It's also spiritual. It's also mental. Like the whole thing, physiological. You have to have a, a health hobby. So if you don't have one, now you know where to start. You got to go, you got a gym membership. You got to go running or whatever it is. There's something you like in fitness. You got to do it. And that will get you out of your comfort zone. And fitness will give you confidence because you'll fucking feel better. And then when you feel good, you're like, I can take on the world. 
Two, money hobby. I always I say it specifically as a money hobby because not everybody wants to be a mogul or an entrepreneur or build a business. Some people say, dude, you just need a hobby that makes money. You just need something. I buy real estate once in a while. Nowadays, dude, my kind of plan right now, my plan is just buy one house a year for the rest of my life. I will be radically wealthy if I just do that one house a year thing. And I don't even have to get great deals, just mediocre deals. That will work. That's a hobby. Third one is creative. If you are not creating something, if nothing's coming out of you, that's helping the world or giving your gift out to somebody, you're missing something about the process of humanity. And so whether it's blogging, podcasting, I do cameras. Actually, I do a lot. I do cameras. I write. Like you have to create something. It doesn't have to be art. I was terrible at guitar, right? You don't want to hear me sing. I don't know what it is, but you have to create something. So the process of taking the world in, information, the things you learn, the experiences you have, and then telling it to somebody else your way, putting it through the Alex filter, the Clint or the Neil filter and creating something that's unique. It doesn't have to be like, you don't have to be the first one, but it has to be your version. Those three things. If you don't know where to start, personality test and your three hobbies, dude, you will be miles ahead of the rest of the world and you'll be very fulfilled in a short amount of time. And those are two like very pragmatic, easy things to do that you can just, you'll go stratospheric with just those two pieces of advice. All right. That's, so we're way over time at this no, point. No, we're not. We're just I, getting started. Which I knew we would. Oh, yeah. We normally, there was no doubt we normally was try happen. to get these under 30 minutes. So are you still, are you good on time, Alex? All right. Hang. We're talking about me. I, like we can keep talking about this, but I want to find out what it is that you're doing with A Better Life and what A Better Life is all about. And then I'd like to talk about the pilgrimage that you went on last year and the one that you're going to go on this year. So first let's talk better life. And you can tell the story about how you got involved in it and what it's all about. Yeah. Better life is a community focused growth membership. That's what it is. So the guy who started or the guy who was on the bigger pocket podcast, guy named Brandon Turner, prolific podcaster, he left bigger pockets. He wanted to start a new podcast. So he, we're going to call it a better life. And then part of what we're going to do is something that I've been hesitant to do for years. And as I started has been tremendously valuable to me is paid mastermind groups. So you pay hundred, couple hundred bucks a month. Ours is a little bit, a little bit more than hundred bucks a month, but you're going to pay, you're going to pay for us. You're going to pay 300 bucks a month. And you go, oh my God, that's a lot of money. What are you going to, what you're going to get for it right out of the gate is you're going to get other people who are willing to invest in themselves. And you're going to get that community that I talked about. That's going to hold you accountable. And because you pay money, one, the value of what we were able to provide goes up. Two, the people are taking it very seriously and that makes it really work. And then three, the interesting thing about Better Life is although it is a for-profit company, we are donating 100% of profits to charity. So we make nothing. Very cool. The only company that I'm the only asshole in the world who would join a company with Brandon Turner and get no equity. But uh, no, it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous project. And yeah, so it's, it's weekly mentor calls with, with industry experts. It's, it is accountability pods once a week. So you get matched up with six other people that are in your life's like life, like similarities and want to grow. And we host events. We just released a podcast. We're going to start with the whole shebang. It's going to be a lot. It's new now, but it's grown cr pretty quickly. Enrollment will is closed. We only open four times a year. It'll open up again in April, but it is, I'm very thankful to be part of it. It's, it, and it'll be very tremendously valuable for those who are looking for a place to, people are apprehensive to pay for masterminds because they're like, oh, I'm just paying for, say, called paying for friends. And I, I used to think the same thing. And now I'm like, of course you pay for friends. If you want, it's not that you pay for friends. What it is, everybody puts skin in the game. It's like betting. It's here, I'll put my cards on the table, but I'm taking this seriously. And I want to, be around people that are also willing to put their cards to the table and take it seriously. And then the way we rounded it out, is okay, we'll give you all this value and then we'll just give the money away so that you're not thinking that we're making money on you guys pay to play. It's not just access. I mean, it is access to these other people, but it's also, it's like, I'm not making anything. 
I'm making a, a moderate salary and I'm doing a way more than moderate work. So we're giving the money away for charity, but this year, all the money will go to human trafficking. I think we're going to give away probably two or three million year one and uh, we're going to fight human trafficking. So yeah, it's a tremendous, for those interested, it's a tremendous opportunity for growth and certainly not for everybody, but it's also, it's for most people, I'll say. And your role is as a creative director? I am the creative director. I'm also in charge of the community aspect of it, which is harder to explain, but we're a startup. So I'm, uh, I'm in, I'm the, I'm me hands. and Matt, me and a guy named Matt Buck are doing everything. We wanted to get 200 members in the first quarter. We ended up with 1100. Wow. So it has been quite difficult to manage. We're whole, yeah. Brandon wanted to start a podcast similar to you guys. I have some really good insight on how to make podcasts go stratospheric in 2023. And I'm sorry to say the first one is in-person video group podcasts. I, nice work. I'll, nice work. If you can do it. I'll fly to Maui. It's a, let's do another one. Yeah. Welcome. So what Brandon wanted is he wanted to be on video. He wanted to be high quality. And since I am, it's interesting. Everybody's got a video camera now and video is all the rage, but the reality is on a, it took me a while. To, I just only realized this in the last year or so on a film set, right? You don't call the main guy, the cinematographer deals with the art, right? But the principal, the director of photography deals with composition and lighting, like what the set what the frames are going to be. And so that's what I do really is I'm a photographer first because all I mostly care about, Neil, you've seen my work and you're a photographer yourself. So you understand my composition and lighting, know all the rules. I'm not good at breaking the rules with composition, but I'm very good at like building great compositions. And so that's what we did with the set. We, we made a mobile video set with a bunch of, we bought, I bought three Canon C70s, which are cinema cameras. They are a lot of cameras and we move these around and we're going to tell interesting stories about interesting people about how to have a better life. And more than just real estate, more than just health, but basically what sounds like health, wealth, spirituality, and relationships. And, and yeah, so we filmed our first few episodes. Actually, we released our podcast yesterday and we come out to, yesterday it was number 49 on Apple of all podcasts. Wow. Fantastic. So good launch. Can't wait to Good launch. Yeah. yeah. Has, has the video been released yet or just the no. audio? No, because uploading 4K 2160 footage on, <laughs> on YouTube is about a six hour upload. And yes, that's a painful, it's been a painful process. So I'm working on some of that on how to compress and streamline and move that stuff around. And uh, that's what I'm working on this week. Yeah. We offline let's chat. I've got, I, I may have a little bit of a solution for you and maybe you've got some solutions for me. So before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to talk about you. I've known you for a while and you've always struck me as a spiritual person, but not necessarily a religious person. Would you say that's accurate? I would not say that. Let's talk about a difference of a language. I would not use the word spiritual personally. I, I am a student of religion. Okay. That's what I would say. I get you. So talk to me about the pilgrimage that you did last summer in Spain and the one that you're going to do in this summer. The myth goes that the body of James, one of the 12 apostles of Christ, is buried at a cathedral in Santiago de Compostela in Spain, about north northwest center of Spain. And this has been, this has been going on, I think something like 1200 years where people have been going from all over Spain to the center of the country and making a pilgrimage. It's called the Camino de Santiago. The way is what Camino means. And it's a very, no, uh, the Mandalorian. Yeah. I put, I, whenever I hate that now, cause you can't say it's a very old phrase. This is the way. the way, this is the way it's a very old phrase, but yeah, Star Wars basically took it. Now people think I'm a, and the Mandalorian was a good series, but I, I hate, I hate how that's been commandeered because it does gotcha. do dis disservice to. Gotcha. Sorry. Um, I interrupt. I interrupted your great. No, no, story. it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I always like a chance to complain mid story. So it's okay. It, there's something about American culture, hustle culture, hustle porn that develops, as I said, in the very early show, 
develops a film of stress upon us that we get. If you get some time, there's a video on YouTube called This Is Water by David Foster Wallace, a commencement speech that it's just incredible about how the day-to-day stress of life gets, we, we lose sight of it because it's like fish are all like, how's the water? And the one fish goes, what's water? And that's how stress is. How's your day? And you're like, oh, it's fine. It's like, no, it's not fine. You're stressed beyond belief, but you don't notice it because you do with it every day. And it's the, I have to get the kids to the thing and I have to do this thing for the job and I have to go do the, these responsibilities. And it's just always this constant pressure. And when you get away from those sort of things, you really get away. You go to a foreign country and you put your cell phone up and you live out of a backpack right? And you sleep in group hostels for $8 a day in bunk beds. And you, you really live on your, and you walk all day and you really live without any of the day-to-day stress. You realize that's all made up and it's, and the world is, the trees are moving and the ants are fighting and the world is moving. It's fine. It you're, and you're fine. There's enough food. Like all the stress that you have is, it feels very real, but it is really made up. And sounds, sounds like what Andy told you. Yeah. Absolutely. We were, I got back from, met a friend on his boat down and he was coming back from the Keys. I flew down and helped him sail his boat back. And on the way back after eight or nine days on the way back up, we started pulling into Harvard, Carolina beach. And uh, I said, all right, back to the real world. And he stopped me and dead and called me out on a heart. He's like, no, he's like that back there. That's the real world. The last nine days, that's the real world. He goes, all the rest of this is made up. This is all just manufactured. And he was exactly right. And it was exactly what I needed to hear at that moment. Yeah. And it is not a vacation. I want to make sure I'm very clear about this. I do not go on vacations. I do not go on vacations ever. I go on adventures, right? I go on journeys, big difference, mental difference. You go out and you, you go to a vacation and you sit around your, in your room or you sit on the beach and you're checking your phone and it's, you're not actually, you're not away. You're far away from the problems, but they're still with you. You plug that, you take that phone out and you go walk in the middle of the like nowhere, right? And you, and you sleep in a bunk and you live out of your bag. It goes away. It, you don't bring any of that stuff with you. And so it's, so this year we'll do, uh, last year I did, last year I did six days and 80 miles. It turned out to be about 12 or 13 miles a day. This year we're going with the family. So we'll do it. It'll be a little more luxurious, which I am not happy about, but we will do, we'll do 17 days, uh, nine wow. miles a day, nine, 10 miles a day. And it'll just be, it'll be walking. I encourage people all the time. And I struggle with this myself to find opportunities to absolutely digitally disconnect. Like I, because what happens, like what you just said about going on vacation, you go on vacation, but you still have your phone with you. You're still checking your email. You're still checking social media. And the closest I've ever come was being on a cruise and I didn't want to pay for the internet. And it was magical aside from cruises being first maximalist kind of thing. But at the very least, like it was a digital detox. Yeah. The other one is nature going on a boat. You're by the ocean. Yeah. So we live, Vegas is the worst about it because Vegas is like all, it's all concrete and all lights. There's no very hard to digitally detox. They have Mount Charleston and Red Rock, which I went to quite a bit and that's healthy. But yeah, we live in a culture where again, it's like you got this phone by you and then you're not out, you're not by the, you're not by nature, which has an incredibly calming. Look, I'm not trying to tell everybody I'm peaceful. I'm not a peaceful guy. I like chaos. I do not, I'm not looking for peace. That's why I don't, again, that's why I don't go on vacation. So I'm not sitting here, oh, you got to calm down and be peaceful with nature. But there is a biological effect that we are evolved with nature. They're solar powered, we're solar powered. And there's something peaceful and calming about it that doesn't feel like you don't have to force it. Like meditation, I have to force. I, I hate it. 
right? But go walk through the woods and it's something like really walk, not a 10, 15 minute thing. We drive there and come with me to Spain, do 10 days. Also, by the way, I want to add for anybody who wants to do the Camino de Santiago, a lot of American pilgrims go and do this. It is cheap. Don't tell me you can't do it. 900 bucks, you can get to Spain. It costs you probably less than 300 bucks to do the whole, to do the whole trip. Cause especially if you stay in the hostels, they're $7 a night. They're nothing. And the food, you live on cappuccinos and bocadillas, little snacks, little uh, sandwiches. So it's cheap. All right, my friend, Alex, if anybody wants to get a hold of you and, and bask in the warm glow that is Alex Felice, what would be the best way for them to contact you? These days, it's just Instagram. Just your Instagram handle. Oh my God, who knows? I'm not, a, I'm not a solicitor of anything. So Alex Scott Felice. Yeah, I hate this question. Everybody's like, how do you find you? I'm like, why would you want to find me? Yeah. I don't have anything to sell you. To, uh, to look at look at your pictures. Yeah, if you want to see cool pictures and, and, and hear interesting stories, you can go to Alex Scott Felice. And I've been working, I abandoned my last website. If you want to know my real estate story and how I did all my real estate deals, it's on brokeisachoice.com. But I abandoned that because I don't talk about real estate anymore. So now I'm doing everything on lifeandlens.media. And now, see, this is why I don't like this too much. Nobody's going to do all that. Just go to Instagram. Gotcha. All right, my friend. Always great talking to you. I uh, I forgive you for... Moving away as soon as I moved to North Carolina and moved away to some desolate place like Maui just to get away from me, but I forgive you and I'll come visit you. You guys should uh, move here. It's, it is the trendy thing. Brandon's getting a lot of real estate guys to move here. Oh, I'm sure. I'm just letting you know, if you want to be part of the trend, it is happening here on Maui. Next exit, I'm coming to visit for a month. Yep. Next deal we are on the way. My rent is $3,000 a month. My place is 600 square feet. So sacrifice. a roommate. Yeah, I'm yeah. tied up for the next little bit. We're I've got another baby on the way in two days, but give me a little time to navigate that, and then we'll come visit when we can. Congrats! Wait, man. great yeah, interview, Alex. As always, man. Yeah, I knew that all we had to do was kind of let you loose and be yourself. There's a lot of content we're gonna have to go through and figure out where we're gonna use it. We might have to. This might be a three-parter deal. I'm not sure. I hope I was. I hope I was valuable. Not just I like entertaining people, but I hope I was valuable. No, very. You know, we interview real estate entrepreneurs all the time. One of the things I love about where your story is right now, and I'm not saying it's the be-all, end-all of your story, is that you've been a real estate entrepreneur and gone. It's not really ultimately what it's all about, and it's something we preach a lot of: is that financial independence by itself is not enough. Yeah, yeah. I call it success, but what else? Yeah. What else? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Truly Passive Income Podcast. If you liked the show, if you think it would be useful for someone else, the greatest compliment you could give us would be to share the episode with a friend and leave us an honest review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to let us know on Twitter at Truly Passive. And remember, with Truly Passive Income comes freedom of time, place, and the freedom to pursue your higher purpose.